Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. Wherever you are listening from, whether you're listening in Korea or Canada or Japan or Singapore or Australia or the UK or here in the United States of America, wherever you're listening to the podcast from, I pray that you are growing deeper in your connection to God. You're getting to know Him more. You're experiencing the love and joy and peace that He offers deeper and more regularly as you walk with Him. Hey, you know, over uh, the 4th of July here in the United States, we had a record high number of downloads on the podcast, which really surprised me since the majority of my listeners are in the States, and it was a holiday, and most people are busy. So I was actually very surprised that we had a record one-day high on the 4th of July, and I was checking the stats, and over half of those downloads actually came in Nigeria. And those may be some of the very first downloads in Nigeria. So if you're listening in Nigeria today, welcome to the Bible and Life family. I pray that it helps you grow deeper in your connection with God, helps you be rooted and grounded in his word, and as a result that you can follow Jesus more fully and more faithfully because of this podcast. We've been in a series over the last few weeks where we're just we're, we're just really looking at what we've called re-socializing. That is, when we become a follower of Jesus, it's not just like we adopt a new religion or we add something onto our current life. What really happens is, in the language of the New Testament, we get transferred from one kingdom to another. We're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of Jesus, into the kingdom of God, God's own Son. And so we get transferred into a new kingdom. We become part of God's family. And as a result of that, we now have the opportunity to live a whole new way of doing life. We get to learn how to live the way God intended us to live because now we're his son or his daughter through faith in Jesus. And so we are learning new social ways of doing life. We're being re-socialized. Or think about it this way. You're learning a new culture. If you move to a new country, that country has a different culture than you and you have to learn a new culture. Well, that's really the background, the heart behind the series that we're we're looking at because in the New Testament, so many of the New Testament books are letters and they're letters written to new communities, new churches, new gatherings of disciples who are now being called out of the present world and called into Jesus' kingdom, and thus they are having to learn new ways of doing life. Now that you're God's people, this is how you live. That's the idea of re-socializing. And so that's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks on the podcast. And in this particular episode, we're going to deal with a topic that is crucial to human well-being, that's crucial to the, the life that God has called us into. We're going to look at a topic that is uh, a massive problem for fallen humanity and a, a topic that it was intended to be something beautiful by God's design, and that topic is sex. We've titled this podcast, Holy Sex. And so I want to study today with you what I believe to be the most powerful single passage on sex and sexuality and our discipleship to Jesus in the New Testament. It's a passage that I think if we really hear what it has to say, it can be really transformative 
to us as God's people today. It's something we need to think about as we adopt the new culture of Jesus' kingdom. And the reason this is so important is because sex and sexuality has been co-opted by the enemy of God, right? By Satan himself. It's a major area in need of re-socializing when someone becomes a disciple of Jesus. This was true in Jesus' day, and it's true in our day. Unholy sex is a problem, a real problem in a fallen world. For example, in the country where I live, the United States of America, a sexual assault happens every, get this, every 73 seconds. Every 73 seconds, someone is sexually assaulted in the United States of America. And guess what? Every nine minutes, the victim of that assault is a child. How awful and horrific is that? What a twisting and a corruption of what God intended for our sexuality. 25%, catch this, 25% of the total internet search volume every single day is pornography. One in four internet searches around the world every day is, is a search for pornography. Pornography uh, use increases marital infidelity uh, by more than 300%. And all of this fuels and is fueled by the massive sex trafficking industry. God knows we have a problem that is destroying lives. Thousands upon thousands of lives. And the ancient world had a sex problem too. Um, the church began during the Greco-Roman Empire. The Greco-Roman Empire, that kind of combination of Greek and Roman, right? The, the, what we typically just call the Roman Empire. But historically, it's often known as the Greco-Roman Empire. Well, that's where the church began. And sexual license was rampant throughout the cities of the Roman Empire. Uh, people talked about having wives to bear legitimate offspring and then having mistresses, often in the plural, mistresses, for social outings, social events, and for pleasure. Uh, people's sexual exploits were celebrated in plays. Some religions involved ritual prostitution. Some even involved um, massive drinking parties then, and then just kind of complete orgies, sexual orgies that went along with it. Every major city had brothels. In fact, this is actually quite funny if you just stop and think about it. Uh, Ephesus, a major city in the Roman world, actually had a little code on the pavement in front of the library um, advertising kind of a secret passageway to the brothel. So you could go into the library and then take a secret passageway under the street that would take you to the brothel across the street. Just imagine that, right? Like, I'm going to go to the library, dear. And then, you know, it really wasn't the library after all, right? Like the, the world since the fall has had a problem with sex and sexuality. And God by creation and by design, has a better vision for sex and sexuality than the world offers. You see, God created sex. It was his idea. In fact, the, the, the first command in the Bible is this, be fruitful and multiply, which is a command to have sex. Sex was God's idea. It was part of the creation that God, God deemed very good. 
But like so much of God's good creation, sex has been twisted and ruined by life apart from God. And so when we become part of God's family, we need to learn to think about and express our sexuality different. Uh, we need to think about sex differently than the world around us does. The fallen world around us doesn't get to set the agenda for sex for the people of God. We don't get our ideas about, our agenda for, our views of sex and sexuality from the fallen world around us. We've seen the damage that that's done. We want to learn a new way. We want to learn Jesus's way for sexuality. Now, this is a massive topic that includes so many facets and so many questions. Uh, and there's no way we're going to address it. We're going to just focus on one specific focal point on this topic, right? There's just too much that we could talk about. My friend Preston Sprinkle actually just film, finished filming a massive video project on sex, sexuality, and gender that will be available soon. He's the head of the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. He deals with tons of the questions on this topics, all kinds of questions on this topics related to sex, sexuality, and gender. So I'm going to put a link in the notes below to the Center for Faith and Sexuality so you can check that out and check out some of the resources that Preston has available there for you. Today, I want to look at just one passage it's a powerful passage that sets the vision for us as disciples of Jesus concerning sex. The question we really want to focus on, the question this passage focuses on, is what does God want for us as his children regarding sex? And the passage I want to look at is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. I want to begin with the preceding context, verses 1 and 2, just so that we hear the context it's in, and then we're going to walk down through verses 3 through 5, make sure we understand what's being said, and then we'll reflect on what that text says to us as God's people today. All right, so let me read, beginning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received instruction from us on how you ought to walk and please God, this is uh, language speaking about when Paul first preached to them, taught them the way of Jesus personally, orally, right? So that you received instruction from us on how you ought to walk, how you ought to carry out your life and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. So you're beginning to live the Christian life. You're beginning to please God and walk the way God instructed you to do it. And I'm wanting you to continue to do that more and more and more, that you excel still more. Verse 2, he says, For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And so you know the instructions that Paul says we passed on. And we did so with the very authority of Jesus. Paul was an apostle. He was a representative, therefore, of Jesus. And so he spoke by the authority of the Lord Jesus as his officially commissioned ambassador, as an apostle. Now, that's verses 1 and 2. That's the context. So Paul is giving instructions about how to please God. He's doing so by the authority of Jesus. Now he's going to give a very specific instruction Verses 3 through 5, this is the text that I think is one of the most powerful texts on God's vision for sex and sexuality for us as disciples of Jesus. Let's read. He says, For this is the will of God. 
So here's, here's God's will. You've ever wondered what God's will is? You've ever wanted to know what God wanted for your life? You ever wanted to know what God's will was for your life? Well, here's one thing you don't have to guess about. This is the will of God, your sanctification. What does the word sanctification mean? Well, the word sanctification means being, becoming holy, being made holy. It has to refer to holification, if you will, the process of becoming holy. Being holy means being set apart by God and for God so that you, you belong to him. And so you are God's people, and now you're going to become holy like God. So God's will for you is that you should become holy. Paul has a very specific place that he's thinking of that in regard to the way we live our life. So this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. So the first part of your sanctification of becoming holy, Paul focuses on, is in the area of sex and sexuality. And what he says is that you abstain from sexual immorality. The word translated sexual immorality in Greek is pornia, from which we get our word pornography. In the ancient world, it just referred to any illicit sexual activity, any uh, immoral or ungodly or illicit sexual activity, some sexual activity that was wrong. Okay, And so it was a very broad general term for inappropriate sexual behavior. And what Paul says is God's will for you is that you abstain from that. And the word abstain means that you hold away from, you put distance between yourself and sexual immorality, that, that you, you separate yourself from um, inappropriate, ungodly sexual activity. So we, we put distance between ourselves and that, so that you abstain from sexual immorality. Then he goes on in verse 4 and says that each of you know how to possess, notice this, there's a knowing, there's a learning, there's something we need to learn how to do. And he says that is that you learn how to possess his own, in this translation, vessel in sanctification and honor. What does he mean by you learn how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor? Well, it's not 100% clear, but Probably the best understanding of what he's getting at when he says his own vessel, this word vessel uh, often is used for your body. Um, and so he seems to be speaking of your body, specifically in context here, sexually speaking. Um, so that you learn how to live in, possess, control this body of yours with regards to sex in, a, in, in sanctification and honor. Might even be specific to your sex organs, right? Like some, there's some evidence that this word was used in certain contexts to refer specifically to your sex organs, right? And so that you learn how to possess your body, sexually speaking. That's the idea. Uh, your body and the parts of your body, when it comes to sex and sexuality, you learn how to possess them. You learn how to control them in sanctification and honor, that you learn how to possess your body. Again, sanctification has to do with holiness, so that you learn how to possess your own body, sexually speaking, in, in a holy way, in a holy manner, in a way that's set apart for God, according to God's vision and purposes for sex, and in honor. Notice that, that uh, there is a way to possess your body, sexually speaking, that is both holy 
and honorable. And as a disciple of Jesus, now that you've become part of God's family, you need to learn how to live that out, that holy and honorable form of sexuality. Then he goes on in verse 5 and says the contrast to that is lustful passion. So you learn how to possess your body in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion. Two words just for sexual desire, really there, lustful passion. So it's like passion, passions, like two words for sexual desire. So not, in other words, being consumed by sexual passion like the Gentiles who don't know God. In other words, like the people outside of God's people, like the people outside of God's family who don't know God's truth, who don't know God himself, who don't know God's ways. Like being consumed by sexual desire is a mark of not knowing God. But when you come to know God, and now that you've become part of his family, you have, you've come to know God as Father and leader and Lord, right? Well, now you don't need to be consumed by that lust and passion because you know the truth about God and the truth, therefore, about sexuality. So that's the text. That's the text. Let me just read it again so you can hear it real quick now that I've explained it. And then I just want to make some observations. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality and that each of you know how to possess his own body, sexually speaking, in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who don't know God. Now, why is this text so powerful? Why do I think this is such uh, an important and powerful text for us as followers of Jesus today and in the ancient world? Well, the reason is because of it. I feel like it has all of the key components for developing a uh, holy and holistic vision of sex. The first is the principle of distance, that, that you abstain from sexual immorality that you put distance between yourself and sexual immorality, things that stir up sexual, uh, 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 inappropriate sexual desire, things that stir up inappropriate sexual behavior, that you put distance. You don't, you don't see how close you can get to the line of sexual sin without committing sin. You see how far you can get away from sexual sin. You put distance between yourself and things that, could lead to and do lead to a sexual immorality. I think that's very important, particularly for somebody who has uh, in their uh, pre-Christian life who has lived an unholy, uh, practiced unholy sex, right? Particularly for someone who struggles with sexual immorality. Um, the more we struggle with that, the more particularly at first as we're learning holy sex, we need to have distance between ourselves and unholy sex. And so we need to think that through. For someone who struggles, say, with pornography or sexual temptation, there are places we shouldn't go. There are certain things we shouldn't do. There are certain things we should do that will help make it harder for us to practice uh, sexual immorality. That's really important. And so we put distance between ourselves and things that stir up uh, sexual desire that could only be fulfilled in inappropriate ways. And so we, we, we actually think that through. What are your triggers for inappropriate sexual behavior? What are the things that are triggers for you for sexual immorality? How can you put distance between yourself and those triggers? Right? There are, in other words, certain perhaps movies we, we don't watch. There are certain uh, kinds of music we don't listen to. Uh, there are 
certain safeguards we put in place on our internet browsers and on our computers to put distance between us and those things. The principle of distance. I think that's terribly important as we are learning holy sex. So that's one reason I think it's important. Another reason I think this text is so powerful is because of the call to pursue the positive, right? That each of you learn how to possess his own body, sexually speaking, in sanctification and honor. It's always, get this, it's always, whatever the behavior, it's always more powerful to pursue a positive than just to flee a negative. And we're not told here to just flee a negative. We're told to pursue a positive. That we have a positive goal we're looking forward to, holy sex, honorable sexuality. And so pursue that, like learn how to live in this world and learn how to live in your body in a way that's uh, uh, holy and honorable when it comes to your sexuality. What does that look like? What is, what is, what is God's vision for that? Figure that out, study, reflect on that, and, and then pursue that positive. And so um, that, that sex in and of itself isn't bad. It can be holy and honorable. It was designed to be holy and honorable. Uh, I often used to tell my college students when I was teaching um, at Boise Bible College that God is all for sex and sex is all for marriage as a way to summarize God's big vision. There's a lot more to it than that. But that's, in a nutshell, that's what it is, right? Like sex is can be holy and honorable and God has a vision for that. And so pursue the positive. Don't just flee the negative. And then, the other reason I think this text is so powerful is because it focuses on desire change, not just behavior management, but desire change, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who don't know God. Like two words for desire, like in order to really be sanctified sexually, our desires have to be sanctified. Our desires have to be in keeping with what we know about God and who God is and who God made us to be. And so there's a desire change, not just a behavioral management change. So if we're going to practice holy sex, then we our desires need to increasingly line up with God's vision and God's intention for it. And part of the reason we struggle so is we fan into flame unholy desires. We stir up those unholy desires that are uh, contrary to God's will and God's uh, vision for our sexuality. And so if we are going to practice uh, sanctification and honor, uh, honorable sexuality, then our desires need to be um, really sanctified. They need to be changed so that they're in keeping with what God desires and what God intends for it. Um, so just let me offer some specific advice as we reflect on this very important topic that is often, um, often carries with it so much guilt and shame. If we have, if we have practiced unholy sex, um, there's so much guilt and shame that sometimes comes with that. Sometimes other people put that on us. So let me just offer this as the first bit of specific advice. Receive grace. If you have sinned sexually, receive grace. God is a gracious God, and we are in Christ, and we are forgiven. The shame has been lifted, and we no longer need to hang our 
head in shame as if somehow we're unclean or dirty or damaged goods. Receive grace. I think of Romans chapter 5 verses 1 at 1 through 2, 1 through 3, right? That we are justified. We have peace with God. We stand in grace. So welcome God's grace into your life. Savor it. Soak it in and allow his grace to wash over even this particular area. And just forgive you. I know that you're forgiven. I know that you're forgiven. Second bit of advice I would give is if you're struggling with uh, sexual sin, then identify your triggers and create distance between yourself and those triggers. Abstain. We already talked about that. Just want to draw that out here again. Identify the triggers. What what are places or uh, things that stir up um, sexual desire that, that is going to be fulfilled badly and put distance between yourself and those triggers. Uh, a third piece of specific advice I would give to anyone who's wanting to uh, grow in their sanctification with regard to sex and sexuality. It's just to memorize verses 3 through 5. Memorize it. Uh, deeply memorize it and then begin to pray through it. Pray through it on a regular basis. Pray through it when you're being tempted. Pray through it when uh, you are all of a sudden being consumed by lustful passion like the pagans who don't know God. Like when those sexual desires just seem to be raging, right? There's a bigger bigger fire right, burning within it with regard to that. Begin to pray through this text and remind yourself of the truth from God. And then, uh, if you're struggling with sexual temptation, I would also say, phone a friend. Have a friend who could be a real source of help to you and really walk with you and guide you through this process. Where they could sit down if they need to and, and really hold you accountable and help you really think through this text and others and just help you begin to, to deepen your walk with Jesus and and pursue Christ so that this issue is not so much a massive issue for you. Find a friend, a trusted, close friend that you could be honest and open with. Sin grows in the dark, and it shrivels up and dies in the light. So a friend that you could just share with that could actually help you walk faithfully to Jesus in this area. Man, there's so much more that can obviously be said about this. But this text, this passage, has been so incredibly powerful in my life as I struggled with sexual temptation. This text really helped bring it all together in one place for me with those three parts of distance, pursuing the positive, and um, letting my desires become sanctified and more and more like Jesus's. And so I pray this text is helpful for you as well, and that as God's people, we can increasingly please God in this very, very central area to human living. All right, thanks for tuning in to this uh, important episode of the Bible and Life podcast. Thanks to all of you who pray for this ministry, who donate generously to make it possible. May God bless each and every one of you. May you continue to seek God each and every day. May your life be rooted and grounded in the truth of His Word. God bless you guys. I look forward to talking to you again soon.